BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. And just like that, it's over. Well, maybe saying the pandemic is over might be not quite the right term, but really, really close entering the final phases, here's why. The CDC on Thursday ended its recommendation to quarantine for people who were exposed to COVID-19. Now, I know, even though we're more than two years into this, still these terms quarantine and isolation can be a little bit confusing. The short version is isolation is what you do if you actually have the disease or test positive for it, as in isolate sick people from the rest of the population. Quarantine is what you do with people who are suspected cases or who have had close contact with people who have a disease. So quarantine is for healthy suspects. Isolation is for people who actually have the disease. Follow? Well, in the updated recommendation, the CDC says that persons who have had recent confirmed or suspected exposure to an infected person should now wear a mask for 10 days around others when indoors in public and should get tested more than five days after the exposure or sooner if they become symptomatic, regardless of their vaccination status. This, of course, comes in stark contrast with the previous recommendation that people who have had suspected exposure to an infected person should, in fact, quarantine for some amount of time. So why the big change? Well, the CDC says in light of high population levels of anti-SARS-CoV-2 seroprevalence and to limit social and economic impacts, quarantine of exposed persons is no longer recommended regardless of vaccination status. The guidance document continues saying high levels of immunity and availability of effective COVID-19 prevention and management tools have reduced the risk for medically significant illness and death. So translating for just a second, it's very simple. The first thing is there's such a high level of resistance to COVID-19 due to vaccinations, boosters, and people having had the disease. So that's what they call seroprevalence, the percentage of or the rate of immunity in a community, the amount of antibodies or other disease-fighting mechanisms inside the body. And in the United States, these numbers are fairly high. These numbers, of course, will change over time as the disease changes and we get new variants. You know, you were immune to the other one. You're not immune to this one. Or as people's actual immunity fluctuates over time and maybe they need boosters or whatever. But right now, the seroprevalence is good enough that the CDC says you no longer need to quarantine. The other part of this, and it was mentioned in the release, is because we have treatments. Because people have vaccinations, which means that they're not as susceptible to serious consequences of the disease. In other words, the population itself has changed both in terms of whether it is resistant and also resistant to severe disease, and the disease has also changed. The so-called Omicron subvariant BA4 and BA5, highly transmissible, but apparently far less lethal. So you're now talking about a disease that, even if it does spread, doesn't have as much of a danger for people. Plus, we have far more ways to treat the disease when people actually contract it or have serious cases of it. Therefore, combining that with concerns about the social structure of society, the economic productivity of our society, balancing all these interests together, you don't have to quarantine if you've been exposed. You do want to wear a mask. That's to prevent you from spreading to other people if you happen to be positive. And you want to test after five days. And do keep in mind the CDC still recommends that if you test positive, you should isolate for five days and wear a mask around others if you happen to be in public. 
but that isolation can end after five days if you no longer have a fever and symptoms have improved. They still say wait until day 11 to be around people who might be highly vulnerable. But like I said, this is what we had been looking for as the end of the pandemic. We're starting to treat this disease like any other communicable disease that's still more dangerous than the flu, but not nearly as dangerous as it once had been. And a population that is mostly resistant, or at least far more resistant than it has been in the past. Let's imagine that you're into hiking, hiking big mountains, hiking glaciers, you know, the kind of thing that I'm never going to be doing. But let's say you're doing this in the Swiss Alps. You're working your way across a major glacier, and there, revealed in the top of the ice, is, let's say, what looks like an arm, or a leg, or any other body part of the more than 300 people who have gone missing in the Alps in the last century, the majority of whom are presumed dead. Well, that's exactly what happened recently to 55-year-old hiker Luke Lashanwan. He was hiking on the Stockji Glacier near Zamat, and what he thought was a person who might be in need of help turned out to be a preserved body. He told the local paper that he didn't know how long the person had been there. The clothes were neon-colored and seemed to be in the style of the 80s. I think ripped jeans and a tight roll would have been conclusive proof. The body was mummified and slightly damaged, but still complete. A few weeks after this, at the Chesjin Glacier, a human skeleton was found near an old disused path by some other hikers. Dario Andenmotten, who's the warden of the Britannia Hut, said that judging by the state of the bones, the person likely died between the 70s and the 80s. Neither body has yet been identified. Yet a third incident, not of a body, but of a plane, debris has been discovered on the Alech Glacier and seems to be from the wreckage of a Piper Cherokee that crashed nearby on June 30th, 1968. Why are we finding all of these things? Because of thawing in the glacier. On average, over the past decade, Swiss glaciers have been losing about 2% of their ice volume every single year, a pace of ice loss that's generally been accelerating worldwide over the past few decades, obviously linked to a warming planet. And since many of the people who perish hiking these glaciers are preserved in the ice, we would expect to be able to find more of them in the coming years. And obviously, if the pace of loss of ice continues by the end of this century, they're saying that maybe 50% or more of the Alps glaciers will be completely lost. And look, I know that's the part that a lot of people are concerned about. To me, the takeaway from the story is, what's wrong with you that you hike past a preserved ice body and you don't stop hiking glaciers? But maybe my calculus is a little different than other people's. And finally, from the very simply titled Florida File, it's the Burmese python hunt. These pythons are a threat to the Everglades. Uh, they prey on mammals, uh, birds, other reptiles. That was Governor DeSantis announcing the python hunt a few weeks ago, and it has been on ever since the 5th, and it goes through this weekend, but you basically have this massively invasive species of Burmese python that is crowding out everything else in the environment, killing a lot of things other than the alligators. is about their only apex predator peer, and they have been spreading crazy fast over the last few years and are now thought to be as many as 100,000 in South Florida. Here's the problem, though. They can lay up to 100 eggs at a time, uh, and so keeping up with this is very, very difficult. Very difficult, which is why we have yet another python hunt this year. And we've already started to get pictures on social media of people getting ones as big as eight and a half feet, according to one post. First night out for the Florida Python Challenge, we got an eight and a half foot big old son of a, you know, gun. And he pulled that sucker out of the bushes. Wow, it was one heck of a fight. Other people posting their pictures with pythons that they've gathered. 
Last year's Python hunt saw about 600 participants. This year, there's apparently around 800. That includes people from 32 different states as well as Canada. And part of the challenge of this is that they're very well camouflaged, very hard to find, and there's no good detection mechanisms. So people come looking to, as the title suggests, hunt the Burmese python. The prizes have actually increased this year. The person who catches the most pythons this year wins $10,000. That was only $2,500 last year, and it went to somebody who captured 223 of them. You also have a prize of $1,500 for the person who catches the largest Burmese python. But even catching a few hundred isn't likely to make a massive dent in the 100,000 or more of them that are around, which is the problem. Also, you do have to go through a training course online because you have to be taught how to humanely kill them. And if you don't kill them properly, you can actually be charged with a crime. So that's an important element of this. It's meant to be humane as well as being conservationist. Much like other invasive species experienced in Florida, such as the lionfish, the best tactic we seem to have so far is just letting people go out and kill them. And yet again, though I live in Florida, I will tell you that this is another form of story this week that I will not be participating in. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? That's it for the Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup. Consider subscribing to our digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. Hit the five-star review before you go. That's one star for every day of quarantine you don't have to do anymore. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to the Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek. Newsweek.